and welcome back to the Loyal Sons Podcast presented by Capel Faithful. That's at Capel Faithful on Twitter for now. Follow us there and follow us here for Pitt Sports content you won't want to miss. If you love Kenny Pickett and hate when Pitt athletes go to Southside, this is the place for you. The Loyal Sons Podcast. A safe, sunshiny place for your Pitt Athletics fix. Today is Tuesday, November 9th, and despite a slow start against the Duke Blue Devils, uh, Pitt survives and advances, covers, and is now 7-2 this year. I am joined, as always, by my co-hosts Dylan and Squid. How are we feeling about the win on Saturday? Wasn't feeling too hot early on, but like you said, good teams win, great teams cover, and I think the fact that we walked out of that game feeling okay despite looking pretty terrible in the first quarter says a lot about this team and what they're capable of. Yeah, the the end result is not what worries me. We won the game by 25 despite playing overall pretty poorly, or at least a poor start worries me about this game is how this shakes out for Thursday night's game. Um, Multiple injuries, um, short week, so those little nicks that, you know, might heal after a week of rest might not be ready. Some guys might not be ready to go for Thursday. Um, So I'm a little worried about that, but yeah, I'm not too concerned about a 25-point win on the road. Nothing about that game made me worry less about North Carolina, which is... uh, a little worrisome. Yeah, I, just, in and of itself, yeah. It's like if Duke Thanks is doing it. this to us, imagine a high-powered offense with a quarterback who isn't a true freshman who began the year as a fourth-string guy. I mean, so I've I've beaten the drum on the slow starts all year, and they are beginning to pile up a little bit, uh, which is concerning. Uh, however, watching the rest of that college football Saturday and seeing virtually every top 25 team also struggle um, made me feel a little bit better. I know that that doesn't excuse you know Pitt's inability to cover anybody or defend the run or do basically anything defensively. Um, however, it is just a reminder that like, hey, college football's bonkers sometimes and Sometimes all you really need to do is win the game that you are playing on Saturday and uh, live to see another day. But that's kind of where Pitt's facing an issue right now is not a lot of our starting roster uh, lived through Saturday to see another day. What, what what can we say about you know the, the number of players that went down against Duke? It started off ugly because Keyshawn Camp is legitimately hurt. He was wearing a boot on the sideline. You hate to see him go down again. You got a feel for him. He's been hurt every year he's been here. But it seemed like every drive, somebody on Pitt's offense or defense was going down, whether it was a cramp, a Charlie horse or something small, or if it was an actual injury that did not let them return to the game. So, like Dylan said, it's bad timing. We are already short on guys. Mack and Barden won't be back, and hopefully the list isn't much longer. But I anticipate that it will be long. Stovall didn't play either, and I was unaware that he was injured going into the game. He's banged up, um, so can't really afford to get any thinner at wide receiver. A.J. Woods went down with what looked to be a shoulder injury. Um, Earlier in the year, I wouldn't have said that was a big deal. He kind of felt like the third or fourth corner in the rotation, but he'd been playing a lot the last few weeks and honestly playing pretty solid. So 
you know, we saw Javante Royal play a little more on Saturday. That's really the most action I think he's seen since he's been at Pitt. Devonshire looked good, too. He was sketchy in the little playing time he had early in the year, but he had a good game, I thought. Yeah, at the end of the day, I don't want guys who are getting, you know, some of their first college experience having to come out and stop Josh Downs and Sam Howell and whoever else there may be. And then Gabe Hoy going down on the offensive line, um, you know, I think there's guys who can step up there and keep things moving, but, I mean, any depth you lose on the O-line hurts. Yeah, it's certainly not ideal, and uh, I think what hurts the most about it is the uncertainty, because there's no visibility into uh, injuries at the collegiate level. So, I mean, Stovall, did you did you know he was even injured in any capacity no. until, like, the second or third quarter? No, I don't think anyone did, um, you know. Narduzzi talked a little bit about Mack and Barden, but there was really no word about Stovall. So that was, you know, a surprise in the game. And that's, that's what, like you're saying, we don't want any more surprises. Exactly. So, you know, now we're facing down the barrel of a short week, um, and we aren't going to know the pit team that's being trotted out against North Carolina in a massively huge uh, ACC Coastal game until they take the field. We aren't going to know what to expect. I never know what to expect with Pitt, but even even less so this week. And I, I think we'll say the words uh, short week about 20 times throughout the course of this episode. Uh, it's it's the new uh, Heisman moment. Right, yeah. right. But let's not forget, UNC's on a short week too. I don't know what their injury report looks like. They're coming off an emotional Well, it's about to be a lot longer, I'll uh, tell you. Emotional win against Wake Forest. Um so both teams got to face it, but I think it just like like you said, a lot of uncertainty coming up to this one. I'm I'm nervous as all hell. So while while you know, I think we're all really excited for this North Carolina game. Uh, let's take a moment and enjoy the win against Duke. We covered uh, wins come at a premium sometimes in college football, and especially at the University of Pittsburgh. So let's let's say some things that make us feel good about some other things. Kenny Pickett, good at football. Jordan Addison, good at football. Incredible at football. Israel Abanacanda, I'd say he's pretty good at football. Rodney Hammond, confirmed good at football. Love the hot rod. Love hot rod. Um, But what kind of bothers me is that you have those two guys running six, seven yards of carry, and we are not not an anti-Vinny Davis podcast anymore, but what we are is an anti-giving-the-ball-to-a-150-pound guy uh, on the one-inch line. Or don't give it to the guy who is prone to losing yards. Izzy rarely ever gets tackled behind the line of scrimmage, and if he does, it's because they bring the house or somebody just misses an assignment. Whenever it's like a reasonable play, he's falling forward. He's breaking an arm tackle. Hammond hits the hole harder than anybody. He gets upfield faster. Then is he even? He just puts his head down and goes with Vincent Davis. Just like the way he runs, his style of running, he doesn't get north and south that quick. He goes east to west. Why was he a if guy I was, there? If I was the Duke defensive coordinator, and I'd be licking my chops. I would have said, and you asked me what play you would have wanted Pitt to run there, I would have said, oh, just hand it off to 22. Because he, do, he doesn't fall forward. We, we've talked about this ad nauseum, and... That that was so perplexing. It was so just predictable. When, it, when this isn't it. us 
bitching about Vincent Davis. This is bitching about the coaches using he him. He can only put on as, so much weight. Yeah. This is us bitching about the coaches not being situationally aware of what they're doing. It was like a high school level thing. It's like, give the ball to your best player when you're your own one yard line. Like, it, what are we doing here? It's simple. It felt like regressive play calling. Like, it, it felt like a step backwards. Like, they, they had just started to realize how they could use him. He helped us ice the game against Clemson because they knew what they were doing. And, you know, they, they gave him the ball to spell Izzy and uh, Rodney and, you know, short passing game, what have you. Giving him the ball on the one inch line just really felt... Like, that That was my, oh, we're going to lose moment. I, I thought we were cooked. Yeah, you sent some very alarming uh, text messages at that point. Maybe even a tweet or two. I wasn't there just yet, but I was more so just pissed off to the max. Ironically, the, the guy who chooses uh, what running backs go in, the running back personnel is the, the same guy who runs the special teams that gave up the kick return touchdown. Coach Powell, let's get it together, buddy. Yeah, that was that was tough. I think we've been uh, waiting for the the special teams to give up the big one all year. If you don't count the blocked punt against Tennessee, I'd say this was the big one. I'm happy it happened against Duke, but you know, again, if I'm if I'm one of the four remaining opponents that we have, I'm looking at that and I'm. I might be dialing up some schoolyard bullshit, That's <laughs> like a pass back or something, because they, they can't maintain contain. Well, the big problem there was the ball landed at the 15-yard line, and the guy had a full, straight-on running start. He was going full speed when he caught it, and that's just kind of a tough situation for any gunner to be in. It's like, what are you supposed to do? This guy's already running full speed, and you're flat-footed. That's on the kicker. you got to get the ball... In one of the corners, or at least at the fucking goal line. Ben Sauls has to be able to kick the ball out of the end zone. There has to be, or Scarton, or someone, Kirk, I don't know. Someone has to be able to just kick it out of the end zone. I hate it this hasn't... trend of guys who, or like teams who want to kick the ball short, be cute, pin them deep. Kick it out of the end zone and let the defense start at the 25. You'll be fine. Yeah, I feel like Pitt hasn't returned a kickoff in like a month. We just, we had our bad returns and now it's like whatever, go to the end zone. Nobody touch it or else you're off the team. I feel like that's what the coaches are saying. But no, we are the only team in the country that can't get to the end zone, apparently. Yeah, we once again found ourselves down in the first quarter. So what what do you guys contribute to these awful, at least first half of first quarters? Uh, this week it was the full first quarter of the game. What, where is this coming from? I'll tell you what it was. It was Carson Van Wynn stealing our signs. Gordon Narduzzi. Uh, <laughs> what a jackass. He was watching our signs and adjusting, and yeah, that's the reason for this slow start. That, that was an all-time Narduzzi take. All-time Narduzzi quote was, oh, Van Lynn looked like, felt like he was stealing our signs. I saw someone on Twitter say, uh, Coach Narduzzi ain't ever taken the high road. <laughs> no. And that's for damn. Absolutely not. Um, but realistically, you know, slow starts... It's almost just like teams know exactly what they have scripted to come out against us. Um, offensively, you know, they, they've watched enough film on Pitt to see where they can pick it apart, and it takes Pitt a minute to figure out exactly, you know. Um, I know Phil Campbell said they did pretty much all that 
they saw Duke do on film, but it didn't feel that way early. It felt like, you know, Pitt was a little surprised, caught off guard. Um, and then offensively, you know, the slower starts. Kenny had an uncharacteristic turnover on the fumble, the strip sack. Um, you know, just kind of untimely mistakes on the offensive end. Um, obviously the safety that we've already talked about more than I would have liked to. So just a lot of goofy things. It's it's kind of comes back to, you know, does Narduzzi have them ready to play? Were they up for this game against Duke? Um, it didn't feel like it. The scripted plays always feel... The, the first three plays that we run always feel uh, like we didn't take preparation for the game seriously. You know, for the longest time it was... You could, you could set your watch to... Uh, two dives to Vincent Davis and then a screen pass three yards behind the line of scrimmage. Um, I've now noticed another trend, which is uh, when Pitt doesn't take an an opponent seriously, uh, you can always bet on a uh, shocky Jacques-Louis designed run in the first three plays, and we saw that against Duke. But I mean, it's hard to argue for Pat Narduzzi and against Pitt being a poorly coached team when they come out flat-footed every single week. It's so weird because defensively, I'm going to put the money in the fine jar. I'm going to talk about the game we don't speak of. The first drive was very Western Michigan-esque. It was quick passes and runs up the middle, and I feel like they had uh, a second and short or a third and short every time. And we weren't giving up big plays, but they were just dinking and dunking all the way up. Uh, And offensively, I don't know why we don't do well in the first quarter, we were like the best second, literally the best second quarter scoring offense in the country. Like statistically, yeah. But I feel like we never get more than seven, if that, in the first quarter. And it's infuriating because <laughs> as good of our offense as we are, we are averaging 45 points a game. We never get off the good starts. So imagine what we could do if we got off the good starts. Kenny Pickett's so fun. He's electric. Like, why do you not want to open up the game with a play-action 60-yard pass. Yeah, why not let Addison, who's open every time he runs a go or a seam route, why why don't we hit one the first play of the game? I've been saying it a lot this year. It reminds me of high school football where it's like, give the best player your ball. Like, what are we doing here? Like, you don't have to set up stuff as much as you are. Like, you are the best offense in the country. Just give the ball to Addison. Let Pickett sling it. It'll work. I guarantee it. Let Izzy do that thing where he runs a stretch play to the right sideline, reverses field to the left sideline, and gets 20 yards. Yeah, just give it to your running back that's averaging 9 yards a carry. I will say, while we are touching upon weapons in this offense, is Kroll okay? Because like, he, he is a weapon. I, I, I don't want to you know take anything away from him. This is a very useful tool in this offense, but like, is he alright? He has the... I don't know if he has the yips or... If he just isn't a very good pass catcher, um, but you know these last two weeks, he dropped two last or two against Duke. He dropped at least two or three against Miami. I mean, that, those are drive killers. When when it's a third and third and five, and Kenny's looking for crawl over the middle, and he drops the ball. I mean, that's that's part of these slow starts. We're dropping passes, and that's killing drives. It's getting to the point where Kenny might be second guessing throwing that ball to crawl in a tight window. Usually you're like, oh, big time drive for the middle, easy throw. Now he's like, ah, is he going to catch it? Should I think twice about this? And that's annoying. But thankfully, Gavin Bartholomew 
is just really good as well. So. Really, really putting it together. I trust him with my life. Yeah, absolutely. And and Dill, I know you were only given an example, but I, I think it was pretty spot on. Third and five to third and ten is when they're trying to find Crawl over the middle because he's such a big, talented... Matchup nightmare. He's a matchup nightmare. He's a safety blanket. So I think it also makes his drops more noticeable when Kenny's right. running for his life on third and ten and we need to score and he hits Crawl in the face mask and kills the drive. Before we move on, I'd like to just take a moment to appreciate Jared Wayne. I want us to mention Jared Wayne in every podcast episode. Guy's a soldier. He just keeps getting better. Yeah. Uh, the catches he makes, he catches through contact. I always notice with him is how much he catches the ball with his hands. Maybe too much. So, some receivers will let the ball get to their body, but he catches it with his hands and then never brings it to his body. He just catches the ball, holds it out, and like these corners who he's much bigger and stronger than try to drag him to the ground. But it's it's like very noticeable how, how much he does not let the ball get near his body. Now that you mentioned it, he's about to get Marlon Humphreyed uh, in, a, in a pivotal <laughs> point this week. Um, but yeah, I, I don't want to complain too much because big win. Well, I mean, medium-sized win, but... Uh, effective win. You go on effective. the road in conference. Duke is very bad. Let's not look over the fact that they are very, very bad. Yeah. Um, but you won by 25 points. They figured it out. We, we were up 11 and a half. It's not like... It's not like we were in the third quarter unsure. I, I felt pretty good at halftime that you know we were going to comfortably win. Um, but once again, the slow start, that can't happen against UNC this week. The off, their offense no. is too good. It's too high-powered. It's too big of a moment um, to where we can't have a, a relapse like we did against Miami and go down two scores early. What I will say is the defense steps up in the second half. It's been a trend throughout the year. They've given up like half as many points in the second half versus right. the first half. They gave up seven against Miami last week. They gave up ten in the second half against Duke, and that is I mean, we scored fifty. Duke had the ball a lot. Granted, they had their backup quarterback who was not capable of much, and they were forced to pass basically. Well, I, I, but at I, the same time, the defense figured it out, and they've been doing that lately. So, yeah, I think you know. It's it's a game that had its highs and lows, but at the end of the day, tells you more about your football team. And I think we just kind of need to come to terms with the fact that this is a deeply flawed, pretty good football team. It's just going to be a matter of Pitt accounting for their own weaknesses down the stretch. This is a very good football team that can and should win all of their remaining games, but... Pass coverage is an issue, but pressure on the quarterback has been slowing down, but they come out lethargic, but play calling has regressed a little bit. So it's going to be what... It's in their hands. It's going to be what they make of it. The teams we play are flawed, too. Um, The microscope is on Pitt because we're Pitt fans, and that's who we watch week in and week out, and we can pick that apart. UNC just let up... Even though they won, they let up 55 points. Um, UNC, or UVA put up you know, 49 points a couple weeks ago and let up 66 against BYU. These other teams are not perfect by any means, but their strengths scare us enough to our weaknesses that... Their defense is so bad, even the Mormons scored. Why can't we be in the Big Ten and just face like Wisconsin and Iowa all the time? These teams wouldn't be able to scorch us. 
But no. We gotta face the teams that throw for 500 yards a game. I'm not gonna let David's uh, <laughs> uh, pun there, the, his joke there, go on notice. Kudos. I was too eager to just shit on the Big Ten, so sorry for stealing your spotlight. <laughs> it's less funny when you point it out. Here's Pickett on a play fake. Moves around the pocket, throws wide open, and on the touchdown for Jared Wayne. With the divisional race coming down to the wire and a uh, clear picture in both the Atlantic and the Coastal starting to form, uh, might be worth a uh, look across the ACC. So, uh, gentlemen, what are we seeing? What does Pitt need to do in order to secure the Coastal Division? And what is the picture at large uh, taking form? Well, the first thing you have to bring up and, you know, I think this is all Pitt fans could ask for at this point in the season, is with three games left in November, Pitt controls their own destiny in the ACC. If Pitt wins out, there's no scenario in which they won't be playing in Charlotte. Unfortunately, that also makes for a very nerve-wracking month of November um, because we've got two weeks from, from now a UVA team coming to town who... If we were to lose, they would have the tiebreaker. We also lost to Miami, who currently only has two losses, who would have the tiebreaker if Pitt were to drop one of these last three. So, although we control our own destiny, there is very, very little room for error moving forward. That Miami loss is big because going into that, if we won that game, we would have to really mess up to not make the championship, but made a lot harder on ourselves. And we have some of our scarier opponents to come. This is just a terrifying predicament to be in in the first place. You know, it's it, it feels, you know, a little bit more comfortable when you have to win to compete, but it it's it's easier to try to win than to try to not lose. Yeah, I mean, like emotionally, mentally, anything at this point, you blew it. If Pitt doesn't make it, they blew it. They had their chance late in the year and they blew it. Um I hate to t- let's let's not talk negatively like that, but that's just the the reality of the situation is that there's got to be a lot of pressure in each of the each of the coming games. Well, it's the opposite of the last time we made the ACC championship game. That year we started off horrible, and we just went on a little streak. We won a couple of games. Right? Eh, if we win out, we can make it technically. We win another game, win another game, and all of a sudden we're like, okay, if we win this week. We just win the ACC Coastal. Now it's, like, then. now it's like, oh my god, we're in the driver's seat, we need to just win, and it's, it's weird. We're going to be stressed out no matter what. And I think the thing that scares me a lot is that Miami loss. They play Florida State, Virginia Tech, and Duke to close out the season. Florida State, that's a rivalry game. I think that's the game I feel the best about. Virginia Tech is kind of just dead. They're dead in the water at this point. They have no type of offense, and we just watched Duke how, how poorly they played. We broke their starting quarterback's collarbone, essentially, yeah. so that. And Miami all of a sudden has found their quarterback of the future in Van Dyke, so. They almost lost to Georgia Tech, though. That game came down to the wire. True, and Georgia Tech is a pile. Is bad. Yeah, they are. And that I was watching that game really hoping Georgia Tech could do us a solid, but now Jeff Collins and... And Jeff Sims. Good for nothing. Never put your faith in Jeff Collins. (laughs) Never. 
So let's take a quick look at the other side of the bracket. Uh, Wake Forest is uh, still in the driver's seat because little known, very weird tidbit. Uh, the Wake Forest-North Carolina matchup, which North Carolina won on Saturday, was not technically a conference game. I didn't even know you could do that uh, before this game. I didn't know you could schedule non-conference games like in the, independent of your conference. And well, how does it work? I mean, I think they just all they did was schedule outside of the normal ACC schedule instead of going and scheduling another, you know, Power Five opponent or whatever it may have been. Um, so yeah, I don't know why they did that. That that kind of eliminates the point of like non-conference games. You get new, interesting opponents. Yeah, but there's like a million they, FCS and like. Like some belt teams out there, they couldn't find anybody. They're like, yeah, we'll just drive up the road to North Carolina and play them again. I don't know. It could very well just be that I don't know if there was a hole on one of their schedules and they figured, you know, Winston-Salem is only a couple miles away. Uh, so it could be a proximity thing. Uh, but it is weird. But it's also not as weird as the fact that the undefeated, top 10 ranked, unquestioned leader of the ACC went in as underdogs, two and a half point underdogs against a 500 unranked opponent. And lost. And lost! Vegas knows. Vegas knows better than we do. They're wizards. And honestly, you know, I I think a lot of people still have their doubts doubts about Wake Forest coming into last week, and I think that just kind of revealed it to everyone else. I, like you said, they're still in the driver's seat for the ACC, but... Because um, they have no ACC losses, I guess. Right. But they are they are dogs. They were dogs in that game, and they will be dogs against Clemson and NC State, which is... And Boston College uh, with Phil Dracovic might be a close matchup, too. I wouldn't... I don't know. That was Wake Forest's first real test of the year, and they gave up a 50-burger. 58-burger. Yeah. They blew a huge lead. People are selling all of their Wake Forest stock, if they even bought any to begin with. I don't think anybody thought this was going to be... I mean, they were an undefeated Power 5 school that was ranked number 10 at, like, what, 7-0, 8-0? I saw a lot of yeah. people banging the Sam Hartman drum more than I would have liked. I think that was out of duty, out of obligation. Like, oh, here's a Power 5 quarterback that throws for a bunch of yards, his team's undefeated, whatever. I don't know. Like, they, they had to. During the pit... Game. They were talking about their ACC Player of the Year picks, and Sam Hartman got too much publicity. I'm like, listen, Kenny Pickett is playing right now. You're watching Kenny Pickett at work, and you're talking about Sam Hartman. That right there caused me to root for Mac Brown and Sam Howell to beat them, and that is saying a lot because I despise those two bums. It felt a little disrespectful to you know talk, talk about another ACC quarterback while Kenny Pickett's at work and his last. His last go-around. You don't go to the Louvre and talk about the art back in Pittsburgh. <laughs> yeah, you also don't pronounce the Louvre the Louvre. He's a Yenzer. Yeah, there's a small locality called uh, Versailles. We aren't great with the French language here in Western PA. I took French for three years, but I'm Scott. I'm sorry if you're listening out there. I'll try to be better in the future. Shocky Jacques Louis. Oui, oui. <laughs> so back to the Atlantic race. Enough of the French lesson. Uh, Wake Forest, NC State coming up. NC State, with a win, would put themselves into the driver's seat in the Atlantic. Um, They already have the tiebreaker over Clemson if they were to drop another, um, if Wake Forest were to drop another. So I'm I'm leaning towards NC State winning the Atlantic. I would probably put my my, uh, 
my money on them coming out. Oh man, nothing would scare me more than a Pitt athletics team having to play an NC State athletics team with something on the line. Because aren't we something like 0-30 against them in all ACC play? Like across like football, basketball, baseball, soccer, women's volleyball. I don't think we've beat them in a sport. Or our overall record against them is so terrible. It's almost actually unbelievable to have that much... That much or that little success in Pitt's case uh, against another conference. I swear it was like 2-21 and 21 at one point across all sports. So I don't think we want any of that smoke, especially with Devin Leary playing pretty well this year. So let's not count out Clemson just yet. They have one ACC game left, and that's Wake Forest. So if they win that, they're already ahead of Wake Forest. And... Uh, NC State, they don't have an easy schedule down the stretch. They play UNC as well. So if you if NC State drops two games, Wake loses, Clemson still has like an outside shot. And the thought of beating Clemson twice in one year, even if they're down, is just awesome to think about. This is kind of taking out all of the fun of this year's chaos because, I mean, Clemson fell off the map. And here we are talking about how they still have a pretty good chance of making it to the ACC championship. And, you know, UNC was supposed to be a world beater this year. Top 10 started out terribly. And all of a sudden we're talking about this buzzsaw Tar Heel team that no one wants to face down the stretch. If we went through all of the chaos of this college football season and still end up with a Clemson, North Carolina or Clemson-Miami ACC championship, Uh, and a Clemson ACC champion. That is just miserable. What a waste. What a waste of all the fun. If we're going to talk numbers, I think I saw Pitt has a 49% chance of being there, and uh, Clemson has like a 6% chance. It was single digits. So, is it likely? No, but it's the ACC. So, what we expect is not going to happen. UNC has a 1% chance to make it to the ACC title game, for what it's worth. So, that likely won't happen, but Miami kind of rearing its ugly head. Scaring me just a little bit. Let's just take care of business on Thursday. Please win. One week at a time. Here's Pickett dancing through the pocket. He'll get the first down. 10, 5, Kenny, a touchdown! Kenny Pickett goes 22 yards. Now's time for some Mad Online, the segment where we scour the internet for the dumbest, the cringiest, the most reactionary pit takes we can find. So, gentlemen, uh, what did we find this week? We didn't tell him what we found, did we? I don't think you know what we're about to say, but you're familiar with it. Me? You? Me? Tell him, Squid. So, during the pit game, some of you who follow us on Twitter... Might have seen it. Uh, our friend here, David, tweeted, quote, The death spiral has begun. I believe that was after Duke's kickoff return for a touchdown when, uh, I guess, you put the Dunn chain on us. Yeah. All right. I mean, Chris Dawkins deactivated his account. Someone's got to do it, right? <laughs> okay, okay. In, in my defense, I... Uh, I was I was a couple pina coladas deep uh, on a beach in Florida watching this game, uh, so I I was I was probably tilting a little bit, but uh, 
yeah. Here, here's the thing. Here's the thing. I have this weird, deep-seated belief since I was like a little kid uh, that if I say bad things about the team I like while they are doing a sport, uh, then good things will happen to them. But that any time I ever say like, oh my god, Pitt is so good, uh, then we're going to blow a 30-point lead to Houston. I'll defend you right there. I can think of a couple specific examples. 2016 against Penn State, whenever we went up like two scores early on, after the touchdown to go up 14, one of my friends texted, oh my gosh, we're going to blow these bums out. And then Penn State just came storming back after that, and it was like the closest game, the biggest nail-biter of my life. And uh, yeah, we tend to do that even when we're losing. Whenever Miami went up two scores in the first quarter, we were like, well, we lost. This is over. And I think deep down we all thought, this is our way to just jinx pit. If we say this... Exactly. It's a reverse jinx. Yeah. So that might explain any other messages I sent during that game. Yeah, you said something along the lines of, oh, that means we're going to lose, doesn't it? After after one of the goofy turnovers. I think it was after the safety. Probably after the In safety. my defense. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it did start to feel that way a little bit. We gave Vincent Davis a dive uh, on the one-inch line to seed a safety to the worst team in the ACC. I very much thought, like, the... The death spiral was on. In your defense, you did at least like come back to earth by the end of the game and realize that, oh, we won by 25 points. There were enough Pitt fans out there who were still saying that uh, Narduzzi should be fired at the end of the game. And then the rest of us reasonable Pitt fans, because there's so many of us reasonable Pitt fans, taking them to town and telling them to get the fuck off Twitter or whatever they may be doing. Yeah, I was, I was really trying to come in here today and uh, sound cool and collected and reasonable about the Pitt Panthers, so I'm really glad that you guys outed me like that. There you go. I'm just as reactionary and obnoxious as every one of you listening, which I think you already knew, but... How about a shot here for Shockey? He's got it! Inside the 30! There goes Shockey! Jacques-Louis to the house! Touchdown! We know we're all in football mood right now. Um, big coastal race coming down the stretch in November. This may distract all of us from the fact that the University of Pittsburgh still has a men's basketball team. And they do start playing this week. Tuesday, actually, against the Citadel. That says a lot about where our program's at, that a lot of people didn't know that we played this week, probably. Yeah, and someone asked me the other day if the games this week for Pitt counted, if there were more exhibitions, and it was it's pretty, you know, just... The uh, backyard brawl is on Friday. Yeah, I mean, Pitt literally plays in the backyard brawl this week, and I, I think I'm the only one who has said anything about it. Um, you know, I, so I'm a Pitt basketball diehard. Uh, it's the first sports team... Uh, along with the Steelers that I ever actually loved. Uh, they're the team that made me fall in love with the game of basketball. Um, grew up playing basketball, coached basketball, love it to death. Um, my full circle moment was when I graduated from the University of Pittsburgh, and right outside the uh, stage, the graduation ceremony stage, I saw I could see one banner, and it was Brandon Knight's number 20 hanging up mm. in the rafters. And Brandon Knight was actually the first Pitt basketball player I truly ever knew and 
was able to comprehend that, oh, he's really good. He's Pitt's best player. So that was my uh, full circle moment as a Pitt basketball fan. Unfortunately, when I was a junior and senior at the University of Pittsburgh, Kevin Stallings was the coach. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you can see where this is going and how upsetting it is to me to see the state of the program nowadays. Motion to ban Kevin Stallings' name from the podcast. Only No, we can only say his name when we're bashing. No, no. Okay. That's like them... That's like schools trying to remove like the Confederacy <laughs> history books. You you need you need to face what you did. So all of that to say, um, Pitt was picked 14th out of 15 teams in the preseason media pool uh, in the ACC. That is, and since that pool came out, we've lost Nike Sabande uh, to a torn ACL, and Theo Horton was arrested for aggravated assault on an officer in. Uh, in the South Side. So that that's Pit athletes in South Side, baby. It's like water and oil. I have to imagine he'll miss some time. I don't know if he'll miss the whole year. Like Juve was out the whole year after his uh his felony. His incident, yeah. But I don't know. It's a weird situation. We'll be without him for a while and we'll be also without Jamarius Burton, who had surgery a couple weeks ago and he's still a couple weeks away, but he was a guy that uh will help out that backcourt a lot. So, we were picked 14th in the conference, and since then, we are going to be without three of our guards uh, for at least the first month of the season, if not the full season. I'll be interested to see how the Horton situation shakes out. I don't want to discuss like disciplinary, like how many games he should be suspended. I did want to bring up that LeVance Fields was arrested for assaulting an officer in 2007, and he missed exactly zero games. But that also <laughs> may have something to do with uh, Pitt was, you know, a top 10 program, and LeVance Fields was the starting point guard, and he was good. Yeah, the so, early 2000s when you could just get away with stuff. So, pre-social media era, I was also 11 in 2007, so I don't know what what the backlash was, what people thought about the field yeah. situation, but, I mean, the stuff with Horton's out there already, and it just gives people who hate Capel more of an excuse to call for him, call for his head. Squid, let's, and David, you know, I, David's going to interject here, but I, I don't think he plans on following the team all too closely this year. Hey, I'm like you. I, I remember sprinting home uh, from the bus stop as, like, a third grader, in, or I don't even know how old I was in my St. Sebastian's polo and khakis, uh, to see Brandon Knight play in, you know, like the early afternoon, um, very early round Big East tournament games. And I, I, I remember I went to a bunch of games. And I, I love Pitt basketball. I just uh, had no intention of following them this year until uh, we started doing Pitt Athletics podcasts. So I'll, I'll interject. I know who... Uh, uh, Julius Pages, you know, I I can I can throw it around, but yeah, you're, just, you're not gonna hear my my voice a whole bunch. I was at Game Three of the CBI Championship at the Pete, so I've seen it all, up and down. Uh, I'm interested in this year. I'll say the word interested. The hopes weren't high going into it, but you thought we could see some flashes. We could win some ACC games, maybe finish a little bit higher than where we were picked. But now, just all let's figure out who we are who's worth keeping, and who we can build around. So, in terms of who's worth keeping, I think uh, all eyes are on Femi Odakale this season. Uh, he's going to start point guard for the Panthers, and with you know three guards down already before the season's even starting, um, 
he might be looking at playing about 38 to 40 minutes a game in this early stretch of the season. He was super promising late last year, scored 28 points against Miami in the ACC tournament last last year uh, to finish it out. And quite frankly, I mean, 6'5 point guards don't grow on trees. Um, and an elite defender uh, has a chance to really, you know, come into his own this year with a bigger role. Um, I think he's the most interesting and the most we can look at a guy and say, you know, maybe he's he's a guy who just carries them to a few wins and swings them into the win column. Yeah, going into the year, we thought that Femi and Nike were the ones who would carry us to whatever ones we have. Like, if we're going to win games, those two are going to have to combine for, like, 40 points. Now it's just Femi, and it's wondering who's the next guy going to be. Can Hughley step up and be, like, a formidable big man and uh, someone else who can supplement the offense? It looks like Mo Gee is the best transfer out of the bunch. We have quite a few, but... He's looked impressive in all reports from camp and that first game from Gannon, if you want to count that. He can kind of do it all defensively. He can even shoot a little bit, despite being like a 6'9 shot blocker. So, we'll find out. <laughs> yeah, I think I think Hughley's a guy you're going to look to take a step. Um, he look, I mean, highly recruited. Looked like a guy last year who, when he got the ball on the block, um, got the ball offensively, looked comfortable, looked lost on defense, didn't get a ton of rebounds, didn't look like he was in the best of shape. Um, so hopefully he can take the next step. I think, for me, Will Jeffress is the most intriguing guy they have on the roster right now because that's a guy who came in, he was the youngest player um, of any Power 5 basketball player last year. He was 17. I mean, he was 16 when he stepped on campus back in the summer, 17 during the season. I mean, he's a baby, and he's still maturing. Um, he's also a guy who, before reclassifying, and in the early years of his high school, you know, um, recruiting rankings and whatnot, I mean, as a freshman in high school, he was a top 10 freshman at Erie McDowell in the, in the entire nation. And then... Wow, know, shout out to Jim Connor. Yeah, yeah. Same, same high school as uh, James, our boy James Connor. Um, but he's a guy who, he's still super young, and if he can start to get his man body a little bit and come into the potential that, you know, he so clearly has... I mean, that's a guy who, if he takes the next step, that gives Pitt another another really versatile, dynamic uh, ball player who can who can be a guy like Femi who can maybe swing a few games our way. To put it in perspective, how young he actually is, Nate Santos is our incoming freshman shooting guard. He hasn't played a game yet. He just enrolled in classes. He hasn't a, his first class yet. No, he has. School started already. I'm old. He is older than Will <laughs> Jeffress. Yeah. And Jeffress has been here for a year. And I think at the very least, Jeffress will be a very formal defender. He's got great size. He knows what he's doing. He's a very smart player. He just has to put together, like, this full package of offense. He needs to clean up the handle a little bit, be a little more physical, be a little bit better shooter. But like we said, he's young and had a lot of potential in high school. So I'm not worried about his development. It's just a matter of when. When will he make that step? I, I And not to just talk about Jeffress here, but... Last year, I think he showed that defensively, um, he's going to be very versatile. He's going to be able to guard several positions. Um, he has all the tools. And then offensively, he, they kind of stopped playing him a lot later in the year. I think probably just some you know freshman hiccups and you know maybe not understanding everything, not taking you know film serious, whatnot. But they played Northwestern early last year, and that was a big win for Pitt at the time. You know they came back, got the win late. Blue Champagne, got a dunk with about a second left. Um, but I remember Will Jeffers hitting a huge shot in that game. Drove the lane, 
rose up, knocked down a jumper. And that was, I mean, for a freshman to make that play um, very early in a big game and a big moment like that, that was just kind of one of those plays that you look at and you're like, okay, that guy's that guy has it. So Whenever we were bad with Kevin Stallings, uh, the tail end of his tenure, we just didn't have guys that deserved to play Power 5 basketball. Like, these guys transferred and went to, like, Alabama Tech. The guys we have now, they're highly recruited, but they're young. So it's just a matter of can these guys take the next step, like Jeffress. Noah Collier is a guy we're going to look at. He's going to be called upon more. And that's just the chemistry is one thing. Development's another thing. Yeah, we just are going to find out one way or another if this team has like anything worth keeping and if Capel is worth keeping and giving them a chance to build back up. Yeah, um, you know, I know we're talking basketball, but I think what people forget about when talking about, like, Narduzzi's job security is the fact that our other very highly paid head coach in, in the two sports that really are very important in the NCAA... Bring um, home the bacon, yeah. ...is, you know, Cable C is hot, and he would go, he would undoubtedly go before Narduzzi. If, if you told me that one was gone in 2022... It, it would have to be Cable, just because, you know, they haven't shown much signs of progress. We, we thought there might be a little bit last year, um, and then everything kind of fell apart. Yeah, and, I mean, two buyouts in a short span of you time. can't do it. For can't an athletic department pit size. You can't do it. And C- Cable's buying Narduzzi a couple more years. <laughs> right. So, but not to harp on that. I mean, I think Cable's safe after this year, um, unless they put on a... You know Kevin Stallings esque performance and are just simply uncompetitive in the ACC. I think he'll be back uh, in 2022, and that will be the year where I think it, it, there has to be a you know you have to make a serious step and look like a team who can contend to go to the NCAA tournament, or or we have to go a different direction. So that's the way I feel about it, and I think you know for that reason you know this is a big season for Pitt, um, but I also think it's it's going to be a rebuilding one. So then. What are your realistic expectations for this year for Pitt basketball, and, and what is the best case Ontario? I would love to not be last in the ACC. That is my expectation going into the year. Not, I haven't looked around. I saw that's Boston the bar. I saw Boston College was picked behind us. I don't know who's on their team. They're not very good as of late. But I mean, with what we've lost, and we're asking a lot of guys who have not played together at all or even at this level, to step up. That's asking for a lot, and it's a tough conference. I I don't know. I mean, Pitts can play 31, 32 regular season games. Um, you know, I'd like to say that they can come through the non-conference schedule uh, with you know unscathed, but look who they play in the non-conference. We play at West Virginia in the backyard brawl. We play against Vanderbilt, an SEC school, uh, the, the Kevin Stallings Classic, if you will. Um, we play Minnesota in the ACC Big Ten Challenge. And then we also play at St. John's. Well, that's a, I believe that's a neutral site at Madison Square Garden, but that's that's in New York against St. John's, against Justin Champagne. Um, Julian. Julian Champagne, sorry. Justin's in Toronto. So, I mean, they've got a brutal non-con to, to go against, you know, the ACC, which is consistently one of, if not the best uh, basketball conferences in the country. So I 
I would consider this season a success if Pitt goes 500 or has a winning record. Um, I don't. I, I believe there's an odd number of games. So if they can, you know, have a winning record, not finish last in the ACC, maybe maybe give us a 12th place, something. I mean, the bar is low, but it can't be. It can't be as brutal as you know Stallings year two. I don't care about the wins and losses as much. Uh, like we just said, the Stallings years were brutal. We were losing by like 20. That's all I need to. We're here to know how this season is going to go. We lost every game by 20, like you could guarantee it. I think I bet against Pitt, against the spread, every game that Stallings coached at the end, and I won so much money because teams would blow us out by so much. But I want to be competitive. I want to show signs of life and retain the guys that we have. I don't want to see another mass exodus of transfers. I want the guys that we have to show promise and then take a step off the court and build around that recruiting class that consists of Judah Mintz, who could be really good as a freshman. Yeah, and build off the court with like no no arrests for a season. Maybe 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 that's that's a step in the right direction. No, you know what? I'm not going to say it. I'm not gonna Would say you have it. given Wadstad that role? Uh, no. no. <laughs> hey, he was winning. <laughs> what? Well, it's funny how, I mean, you know, college basketball ethics, all of that, um, college sports and, and their ethics. It's funny how winning can, can fix a lot of those problems. Once you start losing, it all starts to matter. All I'm saying is I'm glad Pitt athletes uh, brought an edge back to campus again. Honestly, whenever John Hugo got arrested, I'm like, you know what? Pitt might be back. we got an edge to us. We think we're hot shit, going around stealing cars and <laughs> living large. No, we, we're, we're not there yet. I think that suffice. That will suffice as uh, our pit basketball coverage for this week. We uh, we have way too important of a football game to be, be discussing a team that we're we're hoping. Uh, this is a strange position for the University of Pittsburgh to be in, ignoring the incoming basketball season, uh, to focus on a pretty good football team. That's that's untread water. So let me ask you guys. We don't need to get too deep into this, but. Up to you. Pitt has a consistently top 25 football team or top 25 basketball team. What direction are you going? And then I will go with the other program, the football or basketball team, respectively, will be mediocre to bad in that same time. I mean, Dewan Blair, Jamie Dixon years were some of the best pit memories I have. I love that. But I think naturally I'm just slightly more of a college football fan than an overall college basketball fan, so I might enjoy the success of a powerhouse football team more. But it's it's tough. Yeah, I mean, it's a more easy one for me. Uh, I, I bleed college football. Uh, and if Pitt had sustained success to the likes of pit basketball uh when we were you know in the early 2000s uh i would be over the moon if pit was constantly in it in football every year i mean i i have a couple appendages i would cut off and sell to you so so yeah it would i, I will admit though it, it would hurt to see our basketball team that consistently bad um, so kind of the last like seven years, uh, 
But it, it hurts because it's the only basketball we get in Pittsburgh. Exactly. I, that was one thing I was going to bring up. I kind of sprung this question on you guys. Yeah. Because Dick. I don't really have much of an answer for this. Um, if you would have asked me, you know, seven years ago, I would say I, I'm pit basketball. Uh, I, I like pit football, but I, I can live. Enough. I can live with the Steelers. Mm-hmm. Um, now, you know, with how much you know, I think I've really grown attached to the football program in the last few years. Um, with them being more successful, it would be very painful to watch them consistently mediocre. That being said. With the landscape of how college football operates nowadays, we've talked about it plenty mm. of times. There are four or five teams who can realistically win win it all and go to the playoff and be those teams that matter. In basketball, if you are consistently in the top 25, you're going to have the opportunity to make runs in the tournament. You're going to have opportunities to see teams make deep runs, make a Sweet 16, Elite 8, Final Four, play in these important, meaningful games every year that matter nationally. Don't matter in the ACC Coastal. Don't matter uh, to, you know, maybe get by and get a different champion than Clemson in the conference every year. That, like, Pitt could go and win conference titles in, in the ACC tournament. Um, so I don't have a good answer for either of those. That being said... <laughs> it's like it, choosing your children. Who's your favorite child? I think Pitt has a better chance to be long-term successful and get back to that level that we were in the early 2000s with basketball than I do with football. That's that's how I feel about it. But if it was genie in a bottle, you know, here you go. One of those teams is going to be great. I, I think I'd probably lean towards football right now. Yeah, too bad we already used all three wishes on soccer and women's volleyball. Well, in any other way, I don't know how because you get three wishes. Logically, you could have just wished for those two things, but they somehow threw the third in anyway. I don't know. It's weird. It's funny that you bring this up, Dylan, because I'm pretty sure. In the Capel era, I tweeted from my personal account, Pitt is back like three times. And it wasn't because I thought they were actually like back, back, but I'm like itching for them to be back. And when we beat Florida State on opening night, I'm like, yo, here we go. We got a young core. Let's do this. We beat Duke last year. That was the other one. It felt like, you know, Pitt basketball is back. We were talking about, well, is this a tournament team or yeah. a couple more wins, but we might start getting top 25 votes and then. We know how last year ended. So So I'm eager for Pitt to be back to at least relevance in basketball, let alone just being Pitt. I'm going to be the little girl in the Ortega uh, taco commercial and and ask you guys, Kikiano Los Dos, why not both, baby? Why not both? Heather, like, take us to the promised land. Please. Please. We've been good. Start paying recruits. Sam Howell, can he do it again in the fourth quarter? To the end zone, incomplete, and Pitt survives in overtime. Their coastal dreams are still alive. On Thursday, the 5-4 North Carolina Tar Heels come into town for a primetime game against our Pitt Panthers in uh, what we'll have heavy bearing on uh, the Panthers' direction in the ACC Coastal. Uh, what, are we, uh, what are we looking for in this game? Sam Howell versus Kenny Pickett. We've been saying, we as in us three, have been uh, beating the Kenny Pickett is better than the Sam Howell drum for about three years now, and I think the NFL GMs are starting to agree. So now they're meeting head-to-head, and uh, 
first to 70 wins? Is that what we're thinking? Possibly, you know, with with these two uh these two passing attacks and these two defenses, uh not a lot of teams have scored under what like 38 points against the Tar Heels this year. Yeah, I, I know they have the over-under set right around 74, 75. Thought that felt a little low. Um, you know, Vegas always knows best, but that's what I saw earlier today, along with Pitt at minus 5, minus 6. I'm pulling up FanDuel right now, by the way. Yeah, so it's a few people mention, uh, a lot of people, as soon as those early lines come out, people, you know, want to speculate. I thought that was a little low, um, but we'll see. I, I think, you know, both quarterbacks are going to throw for a lot of yards. Uh, both defenses are susceptible uh, to opposing offenses' passing games. So I'll be really intrigued to see, you know, who makes less mistakes, um, who can maybe establish a ground game. Pitt's defense is so based around stopping the run. Uh, but last week, Ty Chandler for UNC ran for 213 yards. Sam Howell ran for over 100 yards. So um, that dual threat of Howell along with, you know, a pretty successful running game for UNC, but worries me a little bit. That bet has been placed now, the uh, the 74 and a half over. But no, I, I completely agree with you. Um, what worries me, though, is Pitt has historically struggled against, uh, you know, quarterbacks that are a threat to run as well as they are to pass, uh, which, which Sam Howell ran for 100 yards last week. And... Uh, they have also struggled uh, to make tackles in the open field, and we're going against uh, a receiver in uh, in Josh Downs, who has the most yards after the catch of any receiver in the football bowl subdivision. I mentioned Pickett versus Howell. Downs versus Addison is going to be another big one. Uh, Downs is going to be a matchup nightmare for the Pitt defense. He'll be lined up in the slot a lot, which means... Uh, He'll be throwing some screen passes, those bubble screens. He'll be going in, going out, and Hallett or whatever safety will be tasked with containing him will have their hands full. Do you think that we're going to continue to try to put their receivers on islands, especially with someone as talented as Downs? Or do you think Narduzzi's going to finally cave to the concept of adapting and, you know, help whoever has to cover him? Well, if you think they're going to change base defense they're playing or change their regular philosophies I, I don't anticipate that happening um, I'll be interested to see how Pitt treats the pass rush if they're going to send a lot of guys at Howe and try to take advantage of a North Carolina offensive line that gave up eight sacks to Georgia Tech earlier in the season if we try to beat them that way and just hope you know we get there before Howe can make a play or if they're going to play more conservative um, I know we've seen the conservative look a few times this year and it, it hasn't looked good for for us so that that'll be a interesting theme to see how that plays out throughout the course of the game yeah earlier in the episode I said something about Pitt's uh, pass rush not you know looking incredible the last few weeks and then I saw during a break that we took that we had like seven sacks against Duke so I'd I'd like to rescind that very hard uh, and say that I think that that will be a key to if we can win this game. Not just, you know, getting after Sam Howell, but taking him down behind the line of scrimmage and not allowing him to scramble for first downs. I thought Narduzzi brought up a good point today in this press conference. Somebody asks a question about containing Sam Howell or downs, 
And he said, you can't focus too much on one guy because this North Carolina offense is pretty balanced. We talked about Howell. He can pass. He can run. He's got weapons at receiver. Chandler can run. So if you send too much to stop the run, too much to pressure Howell, they can beat you in other places. So I think all phases of this defense are going to have to play uh, really good. If one area or a couple areas are off just by a little bit, if the pass rush isn't getting home quick enough, if linebackers aren't making tackles in the open field, uh, it'll be a track meet, scoring left and right. So uh, if the defense can step up in the second half like they have in the past couple games and we get maybe two, three stops, that might be enough because their defense is also pretty horrible. UNC is going to get stops. or I'm sorry, UNC is going to get scores. Can Pitt string together a couple stops? Can Pitt get a couple turnovers? You know, Make Sam Howell make a mistake with that pass rush force a fumble here and there in a timely situation like we said that under that over under feels low at 74 Uh, both these teams may very well hit 40 and it the difference in the game could be you know those couple turnovers giving Pitt a short field taking away scoring opportunity from from the Tar Heels I think what's the most crucial is our offense limiting mistakes we've been putting up points despite not playing that well at times in the past two games against Duke we hung 50 despite having a safety, uh, a turnover in our own territory, and a slow start. Miami, we marched up and down the field the entire game. And then we had a couple uh, interceptions and untimely red zone uh, baffles. So if we eliminate a couple of those mistakes, we're going to get our points. Just don't shoot yourself in the foot because UNC has given up a lot of points to lesser offenses than us. Mm-hmm. That had the cadence of there was something else coming. Is that... You down there? Okay. Yeah, I guess I'm done. <laughs> so moving onwardly, uh, what do you guys make of Pitt's injury situation? Have we heard anything? And what we have heard, how do we think it's going to impact the game on uh, Thursday? Yeah, not much uh, coming from Narduzzi. The depth chart's the same. Shocker. They're not going to give us anything. I think that overall consensus is that Taysier Mack won't be back this year mm-hmm. and it kind of seems like that might be the case as well with uh, Jalen Barden so don't expect to get either of them back Stovall was really a game time decision last week so he should be back this week that'll be a nice little lift for the offense um, I don't know that's a smart that. hold there you know yeah short week coming up lesser opponent in Duke I, I like the Decision-making there, but have we heard anything about uh, Woods or Hoy? I've seen nothing. So, I'm going to, I mean, I'm not going to lie. A.J. Woods looked pretty bad. He went down grabbing his shoulder. Um, and that was a big hit. It was a, it was a big collision. I, I'd i be shocked if he plays this week. It just, I, I have no inside information on that, just from the way the hit looked and the way he went down and the fact that he never returned. Uh, that, that felt like a... A dislocated shoulder or, or something, a broken clavicle, something like that. There were so many guys out and hurt last week. We didn't even mention that Marcus Minor didn't play. Uh, I didn't realize that until after the game. But today, the, I didn't know that till right now. <laughs> the one thing that Pat Narduzzi mentioned today about injuries is that Marcus Minor will be good to go. And uh, if they needed him last week, he would have gone in. I know a lot of the linemen went down, so they told Marcus, like, hey, we didn't think we needed you, but we actually might because we're dropping like flies. So he could have played last week, but they held him out, and he's expected to be ready to go this week. 
Yeah, that's the downside of college football with injuries because coaches are able to more or less hide, you know, the injury report. I mean, there isn't an injury report. Uh, and then, you know, it's noon on Saturday, you're a couple beers in, and uh, you don't exactly pick up, you know, which which linebacker or which lineman, uh, you know, didn't show, especially with a team like Pitt that rotates as much as they do. And then you have situations <laughs> like this where you don't realize that your uh, left guard just missed a full game. Yeah, it shows how attentive we are to the, to the guys in the trenches. I did notice that Gonsalva has got some time, and that's something you know I, I have quietly been rooting for all year because I, I had heard great things about him you know, during the offseason and was intrigued to say the least when he saw limited time to start the year. I think we're going to be short, at least, Woods. Uh, Hoy, no, no news on him, but once again, short week. Could see him being held out and seeing Gonsalves get a little more action. Um, I think I think they feel comfortable with the guys behind the, them with uh, Zabovich and uh, Gonsalves. Is there another name I'm missing here? Those are the two that played last week, right? Yeah. So I, I think I think they feel pretty good about their depth. But honestly, anytime you get a little thinner on the O line, it gets it gets shaky because you know those guys need to be able to build chemistry together, get a lot of reps together. And they've looked good this year. The run game has stepped up since the mm-hmm. beginning when we thought they were just incapable of run blocking. And the pass protection has been really solid. So even when guys have been in and out, they've seemed to be good enough. I have a question for you guys. Who leads the team in carries this week for Pitt? It's a great question. I'm going to go Izzy. I think he didn't get a lot of carries last week for a reason. I think they thought they would be find whoever was out there they could have put me out there and they'd be okay uh, I think Izzy looked really good in his limited action last week and they're going to ride him but this could also just be a game like Miami where we are just throwing the ball at will and we don't really need to run it I agree with you I think um, I think what we did start to see last week is uh, Rodney Hammond slowly they're trying to work him in more and more and just a freshman getting more and more comfortable and we we say it every week, but he he looks good, and he looks like he a does. he looks like a back who's going to be a future uh, stud in the ACC. So I'm excited to see a heavier dose of Rodney. But I agree. I, I hope it's Izzy. I'd like to see Izzy get 15, 20 carries throughout the game. Uh, I think if Izzy is getting around 20 carries, um, you know Rodney mixing, I think that will bode well for Pitt if we're able to run the ball and it's not a Miami situation where we're behind and we have to throw the ball all game. Um, throw the ball 60 times. I think if, if Pitt's running the ball well into the third quarter, into the fourth quarter, uh, that probably bodes well for Pitt's chances of winning the game. That's a good sign. It's something that David mentioned uh, in the Miami game. He wanted us to run the ball more, even though we were passing the ball so well. Uh, keep your defense off the field a little bit. Take the ball to Sam Howell's hand. Yeah, I was just going to say, you know, if you look at the two games we've lost, they have been track meets, and we barely put the ball on the ground at all. And a lot of that is because, you know, slow starts... We had to play from behind a little bit. But I'd be interested if at any point this year, you know, with pretty powerful offenses like like UNC and like Virginia coming up, if there's been any consideration to, hey, enough of the track meets, what if we put the ball on the ground to start the game and try to keep our defense off the field a little bit? If it's obvious that we struggle against high-powered offenses, why don't we be 
proactive about it and try to slow the game down a little bit. I know that we have the ultimate weapon in Kenny Pickett, but there have been a couple games where our defense is worse than Kenny Pickett is unbelievable. And I, I'd just be interested to see if, if there's been any consideration to it and if that's something that they'd try to implement in the next two weeks. I think in an ideal world, this game plays out where we get off to a good start and we are the ones who have a 7, 10, 14 point lead. And like we've seen earlier in the year, we get up in the fourth quarter and we're able to have those long drives and basically suffocate UNC's defense. Teams haven't been able to come back against us. UNC's defense is not world beaters by any means. Teams have been able to put up a lot of points on them. And just like we did against Virginia Tech, just like we did against Clemson, if we have a lead going into you know late into the third quarter, into the fourth quarter, I feel really good about our chances to be able to run the ball and just burn clock at the end of the game. So would we say that the key to this game from a flow perspective is we need to strike early and get on top of them? I think strike early and just stay, keep yourself ahead. Don't let yourself get... You know, if they go down by seven because UNC scores on the first drive, I'm not going to say, you know, we're screwed, the, the, the sky's falling. I will, apparently. I, I mean, we probably will as a group. We'll probably say, oh, here we go again, pit on a Thursday night. But if pit can keep it close and then, you know, either be within striking distance or ahead late in the game, I think, you know. And obviously all the you know all that comes down to flow, flow of the game. If pit's down, they're going to be throwing the ball late. They're going to have to. Um, but being in control of the game and having that ability to just ice games with the running game at, at in the fourth quarter, something we probably didn't think we'd have coming into the year, is a, is a huge asset. You alluded to Pitt having bad luck uh, on Thursday nights. Squid, tell them, tell them the stat. In the last 20 years, Pitt's record on Thursday night games, not very good. They're 9-17. and 17. Uh, This dates back to the 90s, so take that for what it's worth. Not in, exactly the golden era of pit football. No. And in 2010, we went 0-3 on Thursday night, which just seems like the most brutal thing of all time. In Narduzzi, we're 2-3. Uh, and three. We lost to UNC, Virginia Tech, then UNC again. But the last two Thursday night games, we beat UNC, but we beat Georgia Tech last year. Uh, it's a short week. No coaches like it, but uh, UNC's had a busy weekend as well, so... Both teams are going to be coming in beat up and mentally and physically fatigued after a long weekend. Short recovery. So what we're saying is Thirsty Thursdays are cursed? Well, we're on a two-game win streak, so... Wow. Maybe Narduzzi's figured out how to handle the short week with the team. The last Thursday night game that Pitt played against UNC back in 2019... Is one of my favorite pit games I've attended. That was the same Thursday night game that, unfortunately, the Steelers were playing in Cleveland, so there were about 10,000 people at Heinz Field that night. And the people up in Cleveland got to see Miles Garrett try to take Rudolph's head off uh, with, with the helmet. But uh, those that were at Heinz Field got a show. I would say before this season, um, that was probably the best game Kenny Pickett had played in the Panther uniform. He went for about 360 through the air, uh, a little over 50 on the ground, ran for two touchdowns, including the game winner in overtime. Um, that game was electric, and it was a lot of fun. Um, and, you know, Kenny Pickett's 1-0 against Sam Howe. People forget. I'm I defeated. don't. I don't. 
So, let's get to it then. What are you guys thinking? Do we want to go Kenny Pickett stat lines first, or all in one? Give, give you the stat line and the score? Uh, give us all in one. You want to go first, Dill? I got it. So, I think we're going to see another big night for Kenny Pickett. Thursday night, national spotlight against Sam Howe, guy who got a lot more hype than Kenny coming into the season, and I'm sure Kenny can downplay it all, all he wants, but I'm sure he wants to go out there and outshine uh, another big-name quarterback in the ACC. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to go, you know, the passes and incompletions, whatever, those are a little tougher to do, but I'm just going to go 29 for 38. He's not going to have to throw the ball 50 times on Thursday, I hope. 29 for 38, 320 passing yards, three touchdowns. He's also going to run for 50 yards and a score. Outdoling Sam Howe in Heinz Field. It's going to be high scoring. I think we're going to hit the over. I'm going to go 45-41 Panthers. I like that. To start with the Kenny Pickett stat line, I say he goes 33 for 46. I initially wanted to go over 400 yards, but I think we'll be able to control the game a little bit better this week. So I'll say 392 yards, four touchdowns through the air. And then the Pitt Panthers win 51 to 45. Sounds like an instant classic. Yeah, sign me up. So I've done a lot of thinking since across the ACC a few minutes ago. All this narrative of Pitt in the driver's seat of the ACC Coastal and, you know, the Coastal being pits to lose. Are you really in the driver's seat for your conference? Even if, you know, it's a win-and-you're-in situation, if you have an upcoming game that's increasingly looking like a coin flip, that if you lose, you are out and you need to win to advance. That's the situation we're in with Virginia and, you know, if, if we lose to UNC and beat Virginia, there's still a possibility of Miami creeping up for us. So, as much as the narrative is that this is pits to lose, I think the reality is starting to creep up that it's a much more level playing field than we think. And this is not a situation I feel really comfortable having pit in, especially when you have the added pressure, conscious or unconscious, that... This is one of our last chances to beat up on a mediocre UNC team before uh, all those four and five stars start to grow up and, and vest and, and you know become the identity of their program. So I'm, I'm feeling a little bit nervous. It kind of feels like there's a lot of pressure on this one, a lot of injuries, um, a lot of spotlight on this game. Uh, I still think Kenny Pickett is going to do Kenny Pickett things. I would put him at 360 and five touchdowns. And I think our running backs are going to look great too. However, given the injuries, given UNC having strengths where we have weaknesses defensively, uh, I would pick UNC to win this game 51 to 48. However, it is in the Capel Faithful Constitution 
that we cannot pick against our Pitt Panthers. Absolutely not. So, I'm a flip on you guys. Pitt is winning this game 51-48. to And we're going to go into a long week before the biggest game of the year against Virginia. Riding high and ready to roll. I'm so what a 180 there. You had me scared at first. All doom and gloom and nervous. And you come back with, hey, we're going to beat UNC and Virginia. I was over here sharpening my... Uh my fork to you know make like a prison shank to just make it make sure you you knew what the hell we talk about on this podcast yeah we don't pick against kenny pickett in this house <laughs> yeah i mean it's not because i didn't want to it's because i felt deeply obligated to kind of continue this thing that we've done none of us have picked against pit yet no uh so and we are we are 7 and 2 against that we so. have been the favorites in every game. We're not yeah. homers. We're just agreeing with what the prediction is for all the sports books. It's not like we're yeah. pit homers picking pit to beat Alabama. We're just better than the teams we're playing. So yeah, depending on how like this next week plays out, there's a very good chance that Pitt is favored in every game they play this year. I don't think we will ever. I don't want to say ever, but there's a good chance we never see that again. <laughs> or for at least the foreseeable future. Yeah, there's, I don't we go think back there's to any the, way. We can go back to the Big East or the AAC, whatever it is now. We'd probably be favorites by like 20 in every game there. And the ACC, wouldn't count on it. Maybe when my hair is gray and Kenny Pickett's son is under center. Don't Don't you get my hopes up about that? His his girlfriend's a Division One athlete. You're telling me that kid's not going to be a superstar? Yeah, and he's going to come break all of his dad's records at Pitt. John, you stop it right now. I've thought about this too much. Okay, I'll stop right there. I could go down a whole rabbit hole. All right, so we feel pretty good about this this Thursday. No, no, no. I good is not the word. Um, yeah, no. Uh, if there was anything I feel right now, it's just pure anxiety and an emotional... I'm just an emotional wreck, but I'm so excited. Could you imagine having to wait until Saturday for this game? Oh, I, I couldn't do it. I, no. I think the ACC knew what they were doing when they put this on Thursday night. The gods of college football shone upon us in at least one facet. In my mind, I'm gone to Carolina. Thank you for tuning in to the Loyal Sons Podcast, brought to you by Cable Faithful. That's at Cable Faithful on Twitter for now. Follow us there and follow us here. Subscribe to us anywhere you listen to your podcast. See you all Thursday on the North Shore as the Pitt Panthers host the North Carolina Tar Heels at Heinz Field. We'll be in the gold lot at 2.30 sharp, five hours before kickoff. Come down, drink a few beers, eat a few burgers, and come watch Kenny Pickett sling the rock all over the damn field. As always, hail the loyal sons of Pittsburgh. Please win. Please, please win. There ain't no doubt in no one's mind that love's the finest thing around. This
Like a friend of mine to get me from. 